What's up, everybody? It's Mark from Dirty Honey, and you're watching CMS TV. Chris Aiken presents. I, of course, am Chris Aiken, and today we are going to feature a band that I have been singing the praises for from the minute I heard them, which was before the, the Slash tour, so that's a long time ago at this point. Uh, they have a brand new release, which absolutely kicks ass, called Can't Find the Breaks, and here to talk all about it and touring and everything going on in the world of Dirty Honey is the singer himself, Mr. Mark LaBelle. Mark, how are you, sir? I'm very good. I uh, got some surfing in this morning. I am in the middle of moving apartments. Um, yeah, getting ready to go back to Europe. It's just, uh, it's just a lot happening in my world right now. So it's uh, stressful, but it's all good stuff. Right. Dude, how do you even find time to find a place that's home? You're always on the road. I'm literally moving right up the road. So um, like maybe 200 feet away. So uh, okay. Yeah, I didn't have to look too far. Thank God. <laughs> nice, man. Well, dude, a couple months ago, obviously, Can't Find the Breaks came out. Uh, great, great release for, for you guys. Kind of picks up where you stopped, you know, if, if for lack of a better term. It's not, I and I personally love the fact that you guys aren't trying to reinvent the wheel where you might lose people along the way. You're just continually building, building that audience. But for you as the singer and as the most identifiable person in the band, how do you balance giving the fans exactly what they expect versus growing personally so that you don't get bored as a performer? Yeah, I think as a performer and an artist, you're always trying to evolve. Um, you know, I think fans, any band or artist that stood the test of time has had, you know, an evolution over you know over that long period of time that you know right. if you go from point a to point z they might be at completely different places you know from from where they started but it's all about that gradual evolution over time and got to introduce new flavors and you know new ideas um a little bit but also keep everything somewhat familiar at the same time so that you don't 
you know, you obviously have to show people different sides of you and there's definitely plenty of more sides for us to explore. But um, yeah, to your point, I think it's just about maintaining the people that we already have and and building on it and, and you know, evolving as artists, which is going to happen naturally. Sure, definitely. Now, how much, and, and I'm always curious about this, and as, as I said at the beginning of this, I saw you first with Slack, and then you've obviously done tons of tours with tons of different people from Black Crows and Wolfie and, you know, different stuff. How much does all of that for playing for other people benefit you guys versus going out and doing it, doing solo gigs, doing headline gigs? Does it help because you reach people you might not otherwise, or do they, do they oh, come away sure. with it? Yeah, for sure. I think anytime you're opening for somebody, I always, I always certainly feel like the stakes are, the stakes are always high, but there's this added element of, you know, these people don't know who I am and I have something to prove. And so, you know, you want to go out there and do right first and foremost by yourself. Um, sure. But you also want to serve the audience and maybe introduce them to something new. But like in the case of like Slash or Guns N' Roses or the Black Crows, like I also want, I also feel pressure from the artists that I'm opening for. Not that they're putting any pressure on us, but I want to do right by them. And, and you know, I, I take, take it really personally that Slash has um, had us out and Guns N' Roses and all those bands that, you know, the Black Crows too, like The Who even, like, they're giving somewhat of their stamp of approval and it's your job to go out and, and make their word more valuable. You know, right. I think, I think that's really important. So that anytime, like, you know, we do that too. We don't, I don't, and trust me, we have, like there's been bands before, like that just get put on a bill with us and we had nothing to do with picking them. And I think we're at the point of our career now where we, you know, we're, we're involved with that process sure. a little more than we were and i think that says a lot about us that we're putting together a show here that we think is valuable from start to finish and i want my word and and my taste to mean something so i hope that's the way the artists that we've opened for feel and hopefully we made them proud too along the way sure do you do you ever get nervous when you look side stage it's like oh shit there's slash or there's miles kennedy or whatever you know <laughs> I don't even, it's at this point now, certainly at the beginning, like we definitely had nerves. I remember specifically Nato, the guitarist, he had a, a moment when we were sound checking and he was like, holy shit, like Slash can hear me playing my guitar. Like I saw Slash was on this stage 30 minutes prior. He's right. in the building and he can hear me playing right now. That's really cool. So, but now it's more of like, if you see them over there, it's like a smile and a wave. And like, you know, I mean, we're, we're super familiar with all those guys now. So it's, um, more of a, a brotherhood, you know, like they, they definitely feel sense of pride, you know, I know mm -hmm. Slash feels that he talks about it all the time. Like he took us out on tour and he's fucking pumped that like we're right. having success, you know, and that, I don't know who he's taking out with him to South America and Europe when they go on, on this next tour that he's going to be doing, but I'm sure it'll be somebody good and somebody that, that he personally chose and, you know, feels good about it. So right on, man. Well, dude, let's dig into your career versus what you've seen around everything else. Let's dig in. You can't find the breaks. You know, I, the, the, I don't know if it's the biggest story about it, but it's, it's the first change that you've had with a member change this time. You know, what, yep. what happened with, with Corey and how does Jaden come in and what does Jaden do that enhances what you do?
Yeah, no, uh, Corey just um, from day one, I think everybody that we toured with and, and Corey included and, and definitely everybody in the band kind of knew that he wasn't the long haul touring type. And okay. you know, he never was really shy about talking about that um, to begin with. And so, you know, it, it just kind of came to a came to a point where, you know, he just felt really overwhelmed about going back out and you know, we were getting ready to do a lot of touring and he was just like, you know, I, I don't want to put you guys in a bad spot. I, I'm certainly down to do it, but if you could find somebody else, I'd really appreciate it. I just, he mentally was like, I just don't know if I really want to do this rigorous touring. It's not easy. Right. Um, I certainly feel like I'm, I'm built for it better than maybe a lot of people. Um, I just, I inherently love traveling. So it's, okay. it's really great for my sensibility to do it. Um, Corey's not the same in that regard. And, you know, I certainly love Corey and everything was amicable with the split. And we were fortunate enough that we had had a friend that came up with us in the clubs before and Jaden, who's a equally as good drummer. And, um, you know, and I'd never really wrote songs with Jaden before until this record. And once we really got into it, like it was like, oh, okay, this is a little bit of a, there's, there's some growing pains, of course, but there's also elements that he brings to the table that maybe Corey didn't, such as just like, he's got a tremendous um, grasp on harmony, melody, and like when it comes to songwriting, he's back there not really worrying about the drumming so much as he is about the song. Just he's, okay. he's looking at it from a, a much broader lens where it's like, He's like kind of like fuck this drumming shit. Like let's make a song that really makes sense and right. has good parts and good melodies. And and then like when we get into the studio, once we have those bones there, like I'll dial in the drums how I see fit. Um, but yeah, he was super helpful. He'd be right here when I was tracking vocals, feeding me harmony lines and stuff. Okay, new, but like <laughs> we're taking you know a melody you know from here to to here with a simple harmony. You know, and I don't really have that knowledge. So, right. Um, do Do you find for yourself that you can evaluate yourself when you're in the studio? I know you probably yeah. do after, but in the studio, can you tell that wasn't a good take, or I need to do it again, or do you feel that, or do you need a producer to tell you? Yeah, I know if it's not a good take for sure. I I can tell if I sang it well or not. But um, there's nuances to stuff that maybe. If I'm in the moment thinking about my performance, there's, you're not really, you're thinking about nailing the performance, whereas a producer might be coming up with maybe a subtle change to the melody or something that you're not hearing that he'll toss you and then try this. Okay, now let's try it four times in a row that way and see if you can't make it great. Maybe you hold the line a little longer, stuff like that. And I'm just trying to nail what's in my head and get it on, get it on the, uh, the recording and, and he's kind of, again, looking at it from a broader sense of like, okay, how do we make this the best? You may have killed that take, but there might be a variation that's better. Right on. Well, dude, let's let's talk about a couple of the songs on the record. My my personal favorite, I always start my personal favorite because it usually brings a story. Oh, I curious. love the tune. I love Dirty Mind. That's, oh, that nice. is the track. So bluesy, so exactly as you would think it's a dirty rock track which yeah which yeah. i i love man so much swagger on that what's Got the story to it almost i think yeah it does 
is that out of your head or is that a collaborative thing? Where does that one come from? That was a funny one. That was a riff that John had and we were in Cardiff, Wales, actually. I remember when we like came up with everything else really other than the riff. Um, again, that was kind of like the first thing we really wrote with Jaden. Um, and John was just like, I'm just gonna do this on the guitar when he gets to the chorus, which is a pretty simple chord progression but he's just kind of bashing, I think, like quarter or eighth notes or something. And I just started doing the make up your mind thing. And there's Jaden with the harmony on top of it. And it just really makes the whole thing come together. And I remember John just sitting there thinking, he's like, this sounds fucking awesome. It sounds like Southern rock to me. It sounds great. So then we we're like, fuck it. Well, let's do that one tonight. And right. right away, it was like, you know, it wasn't lyrically, I didn't have it together at all, but I had you know, gibberish that I could say, <laughs> right? You know, and um, people can't really understand new stuff live anyway, um, lyrically, <laughs> but they can understand, like, make up your mind, right? And then you know, by the time you get to the second chorus, like, people are singing it back to you, and they're like, oh, that's fucking cool, man. So, we kind of knew we were onto something with that one, and we played it a couple times throughout the tour, so very cool. And then the other tune, which is will go the other way, coming home, what yeah. a that might be the of the three releases that you that I have that you've done. That is probably your best vocal. It's just such a emotive vocal, man. Yeah, we're getting ready to film a music video for that one here in the next. Uh, we're starting on Monday, so that's a little new news. Um, but yeah, that was just a song. Justin had we were right in my living room outside, and Justin came over with this acoustic piece that he'd written while we were on tour with Mammoth and. Um, you know, we, we always knew it was nice, and then we really kind of dug in on writing melodies for it, and uh, it all kind of came to fruition right outside here. And lyrically, I wrote everything in Australia pretty quickly, but um, yeah, I appreciate it. That was one that uh, was kind of a tearjerker for people that we like, we let a select few people hear the record, you know, while we were still sure. in Australia tracking, and you know, a couple people were like, that's beautiful song like we you know we don't know till right hearing it you know and we're too close to the to the moment to appreciate it um but yeah i'm, I'm super proud of that song and that to to my point earlier about evolving is uh you know that's some slight evolution on this record that is just new instrumentation new songwriting just new styles for us that i think is a, a journey we'd we'd like to explore a little bit further and in the upcoming whatever the next record is you know right definitely well i'll tell you what mark let's take a little break and give people yet a, a taste of another song from the record let's um let's give people a taste that won't take me alive um got a video for this one um tell me a little bit about the song and about the video yeah the song was uh kind of the first thing we wrote for this record um we wrote it on that that first European tour that we did, um, gosh, two summers ago already, I guess. But uh, yeah, John showed me this riff and it was like, I was like, that's a fucking sick riff, dude, of course. <laughs> yeah. I'm pedal to the metal with that idea. And right. we started working on it at, at sound checks while we were opening for Rival Sons. And uh, right away, like when the band kicked in, I, I kicked into this melody that popped into my head, came from nowhere. and. You know, once we had that riff and melody going, it was just a verse melody. We were all like, fuck yeah, this is 
this is bitching for sure. Right. And it took about another year really for the whole thing to get finished with the chorus, the way it was and the lyrics. And, you know, we're, we're super grateful. We, we got to the finish line with it because it was such a strong riff, but, um, yeah. So once the song was done and tracked, we, um, kind of knew we were up against a little bit of a time constraint, having a, a, a touring schedule coming so quickly on the, the heels of finishing the tracking of the record that um, right. we put it out to a, a video director that we trusted. And he came up with this really cool storyline about, you know, a kid that's at the end of their rope at school with, with a abusive um, principal. And we were like, yeah, that's, that's a rock and roll storyline. Let's, let's go with it. Right on. Well, let's give people a taste of it right now. It's Won't Take Me Alive. It is the Mighty Dirty Honey from Can't Find the Breaks right here on Chris Aiken Presents. Right back here on Chris Aiken Presents, uh, talking with Dirty Honey vocalist Mark LaBelle. Brand new release. Not as brand new anymore. It's been out a couple months, but if you don't buy it, it's brand new to you. So Can't Find the Breaks is the release. Definitely should buy it. And I'm going to say it. Don't stream it. Don't stream it. Just buy it. Find a way to purchase this thing. I mean. Because it's fantastic. Tell people this, Mark. Streaming doesn't do dick for you guys. True or not? So we're in a unique position because we don't have a record label. Um, The streaming finances, I I guess, or whatever, however you want to say it, the money of of Mm -hmm. the streaming business is set up in a way where it really pays the owner of the master. And for people that don't know what that is, that's the back in the day when Mm -hmm. you used to have to make physical records and cds and cassettes and all that stuff that's a huge financial burden for a record label or anybody mm-hmm. and so it was studio time and paying producers so what would happen is the labels would pay for all those costs and in return they would own what's called the master which is the physical um ownership of those those like, songs those songs um and you know, streaming pays, I think the ratio is something like four to one master to songwriting royalties. So if you own the master and you're an artist like Taylor Swift or something that streams billions of streams over the course of their song's life, like that's a lot of money you're talking about. Um, It's not as much as, again, back in the day when you were selling like physical records and stuff, but it's, it's a considerable amount of money. And, you know, we... We're certainly not rich at all. Um, but, you know, without without that streaming revenue, I think we'd be in a much different situation than we are now. But 
we're in the unique position of actually owning it. And, and so it is, you know, of course I'd rather somebody buy a physical vinyl or a CD or sure. something. But, um, you know, we do better than most, I would say for sure. Right on. Stuff. Right on. Do you, um, do you get, and this isn't about streaming, but do you get propositioned or that's probably not the best word, but do you get, do you get, do you get people constantly from record companies and from management companies and whatnot, trying to bring you to them because they see what you're doing works. And I know this business as well as you do. It's a bunch of scavengers that are out there trying to just make a nickel. Sure. Do you get a lot of people that come after you guys because you've had success without the machine? Um, people in terms of what, like record labels and record labels, management people, people that are telling you we're going to make you a big, giant, huge, you know, star. <laughs> I wish they would. Um, no, it's we're somewhat insulated from all that. Like, obviously, I don't really want to have those conversations with those people because I don't really know anything about it, to be honest. Okay. Like, I know a little, I know the bare minimum of what somebody should know, probably in my position about the music industry. I don't know. I don't think anybody has a magic wand that can make somebody successful. Um, it really is. There's a, such an X factor of like hard work and luck and opportunity and all these things meeting at this magical point to create just freaking unbelievable fireball of success. And it's completely out of your hands and you just gotta focus on songwriting and working hard and putting on a great show and, really hope for the best and enjoy the ride because you're, you're one of the fortunate ones to really have a, you know, a gig doing this. Right. So, sure. um, you know, but yeah, there's been some people that have come like backstage and like, I'm with this, you know, I'd love to work with you guys, you know, let me know if we can help. Blah, blah. And I just kind of like defer it to our manager because going back years ago, um, when I did get, I got offered a record deal super early on and, and my now manager was, a friend of mine that I played hockey with and I went to him okay. for advice um, from a record label we've all heard of. And, you know, to be frank about it, they were trying to, they were trying to screw us over. Um, mm -hmm. And so fortunately I went to him and, and he, you know, gave me guidance and set me up with an attorney that also gave me guidance free of charge. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful every day I didn't sign that record deal because I'd be fucked right now. <laughs> right. Well, dude, well, but thank God, man. I mean, because you guys have done it. And I know a lot of bands that wish they could find whatever the magic was that you guys did find, you know, just because, and I hear it all the time from new bands, especially there. They all point to you guys. I don't know if you know that or not, but they all really? point to Dirty Honey because you guys did it without selling your soul to, to the man. Yeah. No, I think, uh, Honestly, it's a lot of people, and I was guilty of it too. Like, you move to LA, you're like, man, if I could just get the right manager to like do X, Y, and Z, then I'd have success. It just doesn't work that way. Like, you've really got to create your own buzz. Because once you create enough buzz, everybody wants to be part of something successful and everybody wants to make money. And if people really think that you're, a viable option that could be like a vehicle to make money with you by managing you or being your record label, whatever they're going to come sit. There's people that can pay a lot of money to find the next big thing. Mm -hmm. And it's up to you to create that stink. And like, 
you know, I took one last shot at it when we like, we went to Capitol Records and we made some videos and I, I did all that stuff with the guys, you know, in an effort to get the ball rolling in a real professional way. And, uh, you know, that's what we, that's what we did. So, and it, and it worked out. I took a lot of risk, I, a lot of financial risk too. Like it's sure. fucking expensive. It's not cheap to go to Capitol Records, but, um, yeah, that's just gotta, just gotta put your head down and like block out the bullshit. That's not important. Cause the important thing is being an artist that has something to say, being authentic to yourself and being really good at what you do. And, you know, eventually somebody will find you that's passionate about what you're doing and wants to help. Absolutely, man. Well, dude, let's talk about a couple of tunes that you released in between records before we got to Can't Find the Breaks. Starting with Heartbreaker, you redid it, which yeah. I found odd personally because I thought the first yeah. one was fine. But, uh, you know, why did you guys decide to redo it? Were you not satisfied with it or? Um, I think over time when we played it live, it kind of, some some new this happens with every song like i'm already feeling that on like don't put out the fire that i'm like oh fuck i wish we did x y and z to this song instead um that might be one on the new record i'm trying to think there might be one other one where i was like fuck yeah i wish we did something different there as a whole can't find the breaks i'm super proud of but sure. don't put out the fire had one little element about it that I won't uh, divulge uh, that I was like, fuck, I, I regret doing it that way. Um, but yeah, so, and what's, and you wouldn't know that until you started playing the song live, fucking sure. hundred times. And so when we did Heartbreaker and then you go out and you tour relentlessly for like two years and you play it, you know, 200 times in front of people and you start finding little new things about it. You're like, I kind of wish we would put that on the record and so we had an opportunity to go work uh, at rust belt studios with um al dawson and and uh oh god marlon young um and so we were like why don't we see what these guys can do creatively with an old song see if if they can make it better it's a good litmus test for producers and stuff and they they huh. were cool to work with it and then uh, we tracked a version of won't take me alive too and you know it was just a, a good test to work with some some new people and had a new Heartbreaker had a new flavor to it, and we said, let's put this out as a single in Europe and just see see how it does. No big, mm -hmm. no yeah, big risk. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's cool. It just was like, you know, as as somebody that's been following along, it's like, all right, this song was good. I don't know why we're redoing it, but okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> so it had a little bit of a thinner uh, overall tone and, and sound to it, but it was a little more um, in the spirit of 70s rock, I think. Right. Yeah. Certainly. And then the other tune I wanted to ask you about is the Prince cover. Let's go crazy. Not so much because it's even like a stretch or anything to, I mean, it's dangerous to cover Prince because that guy, I don't think there's ever been a more talented guy ever, yeah, but, I know. but I love the way you guys rearranged it because that's ballsy as fuck to take on such an epic song like that and rearrange it and give it your flavor instead of just mimicking his flavor. Sure. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, that's almost impossible to do the mimic uh, Prince style and flavor and flair. Like, it's, it's that's a tough task for anybody to to pull off. But yeah, when we got the opportunity, it was really an opportunity to do this song for um, the NHL's Winter Classic, which was in Minneapolis, and TNT wanted something. You know, as like a 
an ode to Prince and they asked us to do this thing. So we were like, you know, yeah, we'll do it. But like, how do we do it a little more us? And right. I found this great video on online that um, Prince did a version of the song, like kind of swampier like that and heavier. And I was like, that's a cool take. And then if we go that direction, we can definitely like dive more into it being more authentically us. And so we, um, yeah, we did some, some arranging and, you know, I put my vocal flair on it, obviously. And I think John fucking really killed the solo, which we wanted to keep, you know, the spirit of, um, but yeah, I think anytime you go in and do a cover, you want to put your own spin on it. That's how you make it yours, you know, right. that way. So right on, man. Well, dude, 2024. Um, I, I looked on your website before I, got before we got on today and i don't see a whole lot of us so i'm i you know i'm assuming that's coming later is that yeah there's gonna be some stuff coming i'm sure um you know us canada i would think is gonna be gonna be getting added on there and uh, i know we have some plans already to go to australia um in the springtime so yeah so we're gonna be uh we're taking it worldwide now we're not just us and europe we're hitting uh, some new territories this year which would be really cool I'd love to get to South America. That's on my like short list. That's supposed to be really fun. And but um all in good good time, I'm sure. Right. It's interesting that you're good that you haven't gone to South America, but you but you are going to Australia again. You know, most I know a lot of bands that are 40 years in the business <laughs> and haven't been to Australia, man. That's that's a great get for you well, guys. It's a funny thing. So when we went to do the the record, um, we record we recorded Can't Find the Breaks in Byron Bay again with Nick. He's, he's down, it's like two hours down the eastern coast of um, Australia from Brisbane. And uh, we had talked about maybe doing some shows on the front end or the back end of recording the record just to, you know, go down there and have fun and see who's going to show up. We don't fucking know who's going to show up. Right. And so, um, you know, kind of at the end of that, like, conversation we were just like let's go down and just focus on making a great record let's not worry about doing shows let's and then of course we're like posting stuff from the studio in australia and people are like what the fuck are the shows mate you know <laughs> might have been that might have been more of a british accent than australian <laughs> but yeah people were like fuck like do some shows we want to come right. see you guys. and it, it was coming like heavy and fast um I was like, fuck, we maybe should have done some shows. God damn it. <laughs> so we're getting back down there. It's going to be awesome. Um, it's a great, great country, and they fucking love rock and roll down there. So I'm uh, really excited. Absolutely, man. Well, dude, um, obviously big things going on continually for Dirty Honey. I'm thrilled as a fan. That's that's fantastic. Um, where should we tell people to go to keep up with you guys, tour dates, buy, 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 buy merch, et cetera? <laughs> Oh, merch merch is always good um you know head to dirtyhoney.com everything's all linked up there and get connected and uh you know that's a one-stop shop for all things digital if you will all right well cool well dude i figured what we would do is wrap this up with some video of what you guys do best which is play live i'm gonna play a little piece of um when i'm gone uh, that that you did with was it was it capital records or somewhere you did it with somebody <laughs> And I'm gone live. Yeah, it, it rolled into a rolling sevens. Oh, that might be at. A, is it at like a little dingy sort of dark? Mm -hmm. 
studio. That was um, God, that was COVID, I think. Jesus, we did a like Harley Davidson thing from a studio in downtown LA, and it was uh, that was that was an interesting time, man. Fuck, that's crazy. Glad Don't that's want to do that twice, right? <laughs> no, not at all. No, and if you're diving down the rabbit hole on your own out there in uh, YouTube land, one of the most proud moments of my live career was that um, performance with Chris Robinson from the Belasco in LA just a couple weeks ago and doing some ACDC with him and fuck man, like just performing with that guy on stage is super fun. Obviously I'm a huge fan of his. So. Well then you know what? We'll change up and we'll play that instead. How's that? That's, that's fine with me, man. <laughs> Very cool. Well, check it out one more time. Dirty honey. Can't find the breaks. And Mark, it's always great talking to you right here on Chris Aiken presents. Likewise, man. Thank you. Classic Nettle Show now has all of our videos on Spotify. Simply look up and subscribe to the CMS Network on Spotify, and you'll get the audio and video podcasts each day from the Classic Nettle Show. It's never been easier to listen to Neely and Chris, so simply open Spotify, subscribe to the CMS Network, and enjoy the Classic Nettle Show every single day. Hail and kill.